And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing well. On this Monday, it's uh, April 3rd, late night, and uh, we're still waiting for ownership news to break. I wish I could tell you when something's going to happen, but we're not there yet. Soon? Seems like, maybe, we'll find out soon enough. Obviously, we'll continue to talk about that here and write about it on The Athletic. On this episode, though, we're going to do what we usually would do at this time of year, focus on the draft and doing that uh, with us today. Bruce Feldman, uh, college football insider for The Athletic, as well as Fox Sports. Nobody knows more about what's going on around the world of college football than Bruce, and he had a new mock draft out uh, last week, it's an annual one he does. It's a really great one in which he speaks with the coaches and others with the teams that faced these players to get insight into what it was like to have to defend them or block against them or strategize or whatever it may be. And not to mention, what do they hear um, on the side about these guys? So a great, uh, a great mock draft to look at. And here we focused on. Not so much the players that Washington may or may not take at 16, but about the interesting situations that Bruce talked about that could affect Washington's options around 16, including like, you know, Will Levis and Hendon Hooker. You know, are they going to be in position where Washington maybe hypothetically could take them or, you know, trade uh, trade a pick, something like that? What about B. John Robinson? Does he go before or after Washington? Uh, Jalen Carter, the cornerbacks, uh, a really interesting conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. We'll get to it all here in a moment on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. As for The Athletic, new story up in the morning in which I ask the two people who speak to and about Dan Snyder the most, you know them as Ron Rivera and Jason Wright, about their times working with the owner and lessons learned during that experience and from Snyder himself. Uh, I think you guys will like some of what's in here as well. Um, all right, so just a couple quick things before we get to uh, Bruce. I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned somewhere the other day that there's a Snyder tax on Washington for the last however many years. Uh, it has prevented them from possibly getting certain players, and you know these high high profile quarterbacks in particular. Um, you know if they have other options, they're not coming to Washington. We've talked about that. Um, and then there's other just general limitations, like even if the NFL wanted to have a draft, hold the draft uh, here in D.C., that's not going to happen with Dan Snyder owning the team. Maybe that happens now. But to that end, I think from what I've heard, I think that hard knocks could, in fact, be an option for Washington. Now, it's an option 
just from the standpoint of that there's are only four teams who are eligible uh, to be chosen based on the criteria of how they uh, how they do these things. Now the four teams eligible are the Jets, the Bears, the Saints, and the Commanders. Uh, there is a formula for how all of this works, and basically, I believe the base the criteria for determining which teams are even eligible comes down to whether they have a first year head coach, uh, the, if they've previously appeared on hard no- on hard knocks. And if they've been a playoff team in the last two seasons, um, I just named four teams that have been kind of fair to Midland in recent years. I, I would I wouldn't say that Washington is necessarily the most interesting of those teams, especially if Aaron Rodgers is, you know does in fact go to the Jets. But the fact that Washington would be in the mix, I think for the first time, this is a year where I think it could actually happen. I, I did not get the sense that they were interested in this before, I think largely because of Snyder. But if Snyder is, you know, assuming he is in fact gone and, and has sold the team, I, I my sense is that people there would be down with Washington being on hard knocks. Uh, I, it would be an interesting experience, I would say, to watch it from the, the vantage point I would have of uh, as a beat reporter. Uh, and, you know, get a chance to see behind the scenes just like the rest of you uh, that we wouldn't get to see otherwise. So could be interesting. Uh, one in, uh, it's a one in four chance, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you want to say each of these teams is equal, but you know, obviously Washington would have some intrigue for sure in the post Dan Snyder era. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a reasonable thought for sure. Um, and um, you know, obviously, there's not that much going on on the football side at the moment. And we'll have plenty more time, obviously, to break down the draft and, and remaining needs. But we've kind of gone through a bunch of that already. Um, but I was on with Kevin Sheehan today on his new time slot, 10 to 1 in the morning on the Team 980. And I'm on with him every Monday and Friday. And he asked me, the exit question was, we were talking about Sam Howell. We were talking about Jacoby Brissett, the idea of you know Sam Howell. Being the projected starter, is that going to hold? You know, what does Eric Bieniemy think about this? Since he wasn't around when this when this uh, uh, take or, or when this vision first got announced, etc. Um, but ultimately, Kevin asked me how many games do I think Sam Howell starts this year. It's a really interesting question because there are a ton of variables for sure. I mean, for starters, do, is he the starter for Week One? Uh, you know, it, it seems like he's certainly going to have the opportunity to get there, but we will ultimately see if he hangs on and gets it or if they go with the presumably safer option in Jacoby Brissett. But if Hal starts and they start off slow yet again, can, does Rivera wait? I mean, maybe it's not Sam Hal's fault, but if they're one and four, two and three, does the coach, you know, does he have, does he feel he has time to wait and see, or does he have to go to Jacoby Brissett on the flip side? If Jacoby Brissett ends up starting somehow, you know what would it take for them to to turn to 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 Hal? Would would they, um, you know, would would a rough start put them in position to want to say, well, let's see what happens now with Hal? Does the new owner reflect on this? Um, it's a tough call. It's not like we can sit here and definitively say Sam Howell is going to start all the games. You know, forget injuries. Um, so that said, I went with sort of the middle. I went like seven and a half. Uh, 
is where I kind of set the bar. I think I, I guess I think I would go over, but I still remain that like the reason that they made the announcement about how as QB one entering the summer in the first place is, as you've heard me say that they were trying to change the subject from the, the poor finish of the year to uh, something more positive. They definitely did that. Um, and we'll see what Sam Howell can do. I do think he's an interesting player, but you know, they're putting a lot on his plate for sure. Uh, based on just one start as a guy who was a fifth-round pick just the year prior, even though he is interesting for sure. Um, all right, like I said, don't have much, uh, not a ton of notes here today, but we'll have more podcasts this week. We'll see what else we can come up with for sure. But right now, let's get to it. Really fun conversation. Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports, at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. Here we go, my conversation with Bruce Feldman talking the 2023 NFL Draft here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Uh, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, very exciting to welcome in uh, one of our college fo- – well, I don't know if you're one of but you're like You're one of the go-to college football insiders out there, and he's uh, dove into the NFL draft with all his sources. It's Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. I know it's it's busy for you, uh, you know, checking things around. Yeah, it's been it's it's always a fun project for me to work on. I kind of I love the NFL and just when I've always watched the draft process, I've been going to the combine for like 15 years. But whenever I've seen it, I was like, all right, I feel like I have a different perspective on it. Just because I'm talking to the, a lot of coaches and the coaches have actually you know, and I'm not, you know, there's plenty of good draft analysts, you know, starting with our own guy, Dane. Um, but one thing I think that is maybe unique to look at it from this side is these are the coaches who not only scouted and watched these players on film, but then they've game planned against them and they know exactly what they are trying to do to them. So it's not like, well, I think this is supposed to be this or whatever. Like they know they also, you know, a lot of these coaches are in the same conference. So they know a lot about the players backgrounds 
um, what the coaches really think about them because they've had these conversations. So it's just a really, and also they know about the players that they have um, and people who've, you know, looked at the mock already, um, they'll see some comments where some of their own coaches are pretty, pretty critical on their own guys because they know their own guys shortcomings. And I think that's an interesting window into who's playing who. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously I'm encouraging everybody to go check Bruce's uh, mock draft out because like he said, it's got a lot of insight in there from the people who are actually going against these players from the coaches who are playing against these players in, uh, in college. And you're right. When it comes to mock drafts, a lot of times it's uh, people are making connections team to player based on kind of, well, the team needs X and I, I like this player, but no offense to a lot of mock draft people, myself included, who cares, <laughs> right? I mean, ultimately, it's it's the people in the who are really in the mix who know best what's going on, and that's why we get risers, fallers, busts, whatever, because, you know, it, it is a hard thing to figure out, but the people in the mix are going to have at least, if not a better feel, a much different feel, like you said, than those of us just watching tape or, or watching TV. Yeah, and I, it's fascinating because like there are certain guys that I would I would hear about from some of these coaches because I would ask about specific guys and then go anybody else you think is a kind of a and a first round talent or somebody who really kind of really wowed you and there will be a handful of guys and I'm like why is this guy nobody has him in the first two rounds or why is you know some of that and there's there was at least two or three guys that fit into that category where I'm like all right I suspect these guys may rise. And whether they rise or not, that's perception wise, because they may not, you know, it's just like there may be scouts and personnel people ha who've had these guys really high al all along, but they're not showing their cards. And so, you know, there are certain guys like, why did this guy fall? Well, this guy may never really fallen. He may have been always evaluated there. You know, I go back to um, living in Los Angeles, like Matt Barkley, people talked about, mm -hmm. oh, he was going to be the first pick in the draft. I'm not sure anybody thought who was a football, you know, real football personnel person thought this guy's going to be top 10 pick you know i don't know if they thought he's going to be a fourth or fifth round pick but a lot of times what we get caught up in you know in terms of media hype may not be the quite the reality i mean there is a handful of players and like you said i cover college football all year round who are like oh these players are definitely better the coaches who play them think they're much better than we in the media realize you know, you, you said you mentioned you know being in LA. I always equate this to in eighteen months from now in Hollywood, there will be somebody or somebody's fronting movies who will be coming like on the cover of magazines who none of us have heard of right now. That we have no idea who this person is, but they've already started to shoot the movies. They've already started to get some attention. And by the time the public catches up to it, they're already a thing. And people are like, oh, wow, where'd this come from? And it's like, well, actually. It's like the same thing. It's like, well, I've been studying this player for two years and I saw he was, you should be top 20, even if you didn't think so, or the opposite. And I, I, that, that's how my head, how I always sort of equate these things. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this working on this, and I work on it for like two months is other stories will, will come out of this, meaning I'll talk to coaches and something will spring out. And so two years ago, I remember you know, on Virginia Tech, Christian Darius was a really highly regarded offensive tackle. And I was asking guys who were in the ACC about him. And they and what had kept on happening was, yeah, he's a good player. The guy who's we think is, you know, we thought was the best one by far is the NC State kid. And the first time I heard that, 
I was like, just kind of like, kind of, you know, okay, whatever. And, but then I, after I got off the phone with that particular coach, I looked up and I was like, there's no NC state offensive pro tackle in this draft. And then I was trying, cause they, you know, a lot of times you don't get the name of a guy. It may be the number or, you know, right. and now numbers change from year to year too. Yaya um, Diaby, an edge rush from Louisville, change numbers, you know, like, and so anyway, um, by the second time I talked to this, at a coach in the ACC, you know, they mentioned the number and I'm like, oh, this must be the sophomore they're talking about. Well, it's Iki Iguanu. And then it was like, all right, you know, I, I would ask them all these coaches, you know, if I talked to six guys in the last four, I specifically asked about Icky as well. And Icky turned out to be a really good story for me because he was not even first team all league. Nobody in the on the draft, like I would tell guys I know who are in personnel, hey, take a look at this guy. Tell me what you think. Because because they're not looking at sophomores, second year sophomores, especially offensive line. And he wasn't a big recruit coming out of high school. So nobody outside of like a bunch of coaches really knew anything about him. Well, he turned out to be the first first offensive lineman taken you know, last year. And this is like kind of what you just said about the movie, you know, phenomenon. This is what he was. And then there's awesome tape of him. And, you know, the more people, you know, and there are guys like that every year, as much as people think there aren't people who fall through the cracks, there are still a bunch. Yeah, for sure. Um, So let's talk about a couple of these guys. And I, I was telling you before we started that, you know, I definitely want to look at everybody, you know, I want everybody to look at their mock, but I want to go through some of the stuff here as it pertains to Washington, not necessarily the players for Washington, but how the board may unfold in front of them and to, to agree behind them, how that could affect things. If you're thinking about trading down or strengths of the drafts or things like that, you mentioned guys who their value is sort of still trying to maybe figure it out. I want to start with the quarterbacks, not the top three guys. We kind of, it does feel like in some order, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, you have one, two, and that does feel like sort of the consensus at this point, or at least leading that way with Anthony Richardson going to the Colts at four. The question then for, becomes like, well, what happens next? Where does Will Levis go? And then Hendon Hooker is gaining momentum here, which is interesting to me as a 25 year old coming off an ACL surgery. These are things that don't seem like that would make sense for a first round pick, but now he is gaining momentum. You have him in the first round and you also had Levis falling so both of those guys would, in theory, be there for Washington, independent of Washington's needs, and we kind of think they're going with Hal and Brissett. Tell me about why you think, I guess, again, we don't know if they're technically falling, but why Levis appears to be falling and why Hooker appears to be rising. So it's interesting because both guys are transfer quarterbacks. Now, that's not uncommon these days. But in Will Levis's case, very impressive 2021 film when he had a much better offensive line and when he had Wondell Robinson, who was a dynamic slot for them, but also Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator. Liam, at the end of the season, Liam Cohen goes back to the NFL to take an OC job with the Rams. They bring in another NFL guy, Rich Scangarello. The offensive line lose a bunch of good players. And you know, talking to the coaches who faded, they were like, Scangarello was entirely predictable. The system was a mishmash. It was just not, you know, and what they thought was because of, you know, O-line issues also, and the, just not a, not as good of a system fit uh, that I heard, you know, one of the things was he, Will Levis is seeing ghosts now, you know, and he has a powerful arm. He can run. 
but I think there is some concern about um, there's a little more skepticism there in terms of he just wasn't the same guy. Now, one of the coaches I talked to said, look, we've seen him do it. I saw what he was in 2021. It was just last year. I think there was hesitation, but I think there is a little bit of concerns of accuracy. Um, can he take, you know, does he, can he make all the throws in terms of, can he do, is everything going to be a, a, a rocket out of his hand? Um, Hendon Hooker on the other side, People, can I, I, can, can yeah, I pause sorry. you there for a quick second? As I'm listening to you describe the Will Levis thing, it reminds me a lot of the Sam Howell story because this is the pitch that Washington's trying to go with right now that Howell had a really good sophomore year. Then they lost a thousand players on this on yeah. staff. Yeah. And then everything kind of went down. He slides all the way to the fifth. I mean, even Washington touting him saying how much they liked him. I'm like, sure, you still you still waited till the fifth round to take him. It, it, it sort of reminds me almost a little bit of that uh, in, in a sense, because and that will be interesting with Levis, like how much did losing all these, the coach and the, these other pieces affect what he did the, the, the next year? I think the one thing that bodes well for him is, you know, when he got to Kentucky, he missed spring because he got there late. He was still at Penn State. So he didn't even have a spring to acclimate with his teammates and Liam Cohen the new the new play caller there and he did a really good job in 2021 it was just 2022 the hype train got out of control the supporting cast wasn't as good and he struggled you know so i think there's definitely a lot of talent there but you know we've seen quarterbacks who have you know really big arms you know maybe accuracy concerns you know like Josh Allen and I, this came up in you know in the mock draft you know from some personnel people was you know especially in regards to more Anthony Richardson all right the mid 50s uh completion percentage the powerful arm now Josh Allen played at a lesser competition level than Anthony Richardson but had more of a body of work but again where it's like okay you know you talk to coaches who are like well Will Levis can run um, you, you know, you could, there's certain things you can do. We saw that with Daniel Jones, right? Brian Dayball's done a really good job with quarterbacks by showcasing what they can do and not asking them too much about what they may not be able to do very well. Right. Right. And so I think whether it's Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, you see that what I think there is a concern though, is like, ultimately, you know, do, how well does he see it? You know, I think there's some, there is. Like, there's no concern about how well he sees it from the C.J. Stroud side, you know, from the people I've talked to. And the concern, obviously, with with Bryce is the physical size. You know, just will he hold up? You know, he is smaller, but, you know, really smart and everything. When you get to Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, there is some concern about how well do they process, how well do they see it. And I think that is, that is the, the question mark. I mean, the... Hendon Hooker brings, you know, to me, the biggest question mark is how does he transition from the system that they run at, at Tennessee? Now, he he came from Virginia Tech, very different system. The coaches I talked to in the NFL who met with him when I was in Indy, they said they were really impressed by him. He had great, not just recall, but understanding of what they did at Virginia Tech. And I think what's come up a lot is you have a bunch of quarterbacks now who have had two systems because there are so many more transfer quarterbacks out there. 
And so I think when they when coaches in the NFL dig back into like, hey, what did you know about this? It's an interesting tell for them. Um, obviously, his age is not a plus, you know, at 25. Um, I also think that that is a going to be a huge knock for him because it's not like he's 29, right? We're seeing plenty of quarterbacks have a lot of success when they're, you know, in their into their 30s. So I don't know if you're if you're worried about what's he going to be like at 29. I think the question is how good can he be, you know, when he you know in 2024 right? He's going to probably miss a big chunk of this season. But I, you know, I thought for the Vikings, he's an ideal spot because then all of a sudden you still have Kirk Cousins there. I'm not saying you want to sit him on the bench at that age for three years, but at the same time, you know, whether it's the Titans, you know, who have, who have uh, Tannehill, but he's a free agent after a year from now. And he's also now at 35, he's had some injury issues and maybe he's starting to decline. So I could see, you know, guys there being, okay, that might be a good fit for those guys. Um, you know, but like the Hendon Hooker love as it came up, you know, with a lot of coaches I talked to really, I don't want to say it caught me off guard because the stuff I heard at the combine was very positive. The coaches really kind of gushed about him much more than I expected. Now he had a great year on the field and he helped turn that program around because Tennessee football had been in the ditch for like the last 15 years. But to the degree these coaches were that impressed by him kind of took me back a minute. Yeah, he's going to be the interesting one for me in terms of the hype versus the reality. I mean, it, he obviously had a tremendous year. And if he doesn't get hurt, we may, you know, he may very well be being discussed in the first round all along. But at the same point, there's always these, you know, some players that get talked up a bit. Um, and then you come to fight, you know, look, even last year, this maybe isn't the exact same thing, but like Malik Willis is being discussed as a top five pick. And then he goes all the way to, to the third round. I, I don't imagine, um, scouts, like we're saying, had such a 180 on the kid over the last couple months before the draft. It was probably just an overhype to some degree, but that's, you know, but it can go in the other way, um, as well in terms of undervaluing. A player, so I think that's going to be an interesting one to see for Washington. Because the other thing too, Ben, I would just yeah. bring this up. Just when I looked, at, once you start getting into the twenties, there's not a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, right? Now the Bengals are not taking a quarterback. The you know the Chiefs are you know you start going through the the Eagles are not taking a quarterback high now. Maybe somebody would jump back in, but I don't know how many teams, and certainly Washington would fit in this category. But how many teams badly really need a quarterback? that they would burn a top 40 pick on it. I don't know. I don't think it's as many as we normally see. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, a great point. And this is not to, to derail us here, but part of like the Lamar Jackson conversation is, well, how many teams are actually in need of a quarterback either because they don't have a stud already, or they haven't recently invested in someone. And right, if you're the, yeah, if you're the Falcons and you just spend a, a number two on Desmond Ritter, like, do you say, all right, it'd be different if you had a top four pick or if you have the choice between CJ or Bryce, maybe. But the, the idea that we're going to we're going to jump, we're going to jump back in the draft. I don't think you're taking Will Levis eight, you know, if you're the Falcons, when you have other needs, especially on, you know, on defense still. But if you are, I, I just don't know where, like. Even if you're Washington, do you ride and say, all right, we like Sam Howell. I don't know if we love him, but we were encouraged by some of the stuff. Do you give him a chance as opposed to say, hey, we're going to bring in somebody else? I don't know. I, I could be wrong. 
I don't know if they're looking at Will Levis going, yeah, we're totally sold on him to say we're going to, you know, when we have some other needs and there's some really good cornerbacks out there that I think will be available at that spot that we can get. Right. I, to me, a guy like Levis or Hooker, he were to continue to rise, would be trade options for them. Like, you know, it, you know, could you entice the Vikings to jump from 23 to 16 or, you know, you had a team from the second round moving up or or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I think that to me is where, where it would be more for um, for Washington's sake. But it's interesting to see, like, you know, if Levis even is there, that does change the board for a team like that. Uh, and Hooker, same thing. If he was, if he truly is rising up, and people think he's worthy, then people will do crazy stuff for quarterbacks. So it, it does give them um, another option. Um, basically, a different guy. This is a guy that absolutely Washington is not going to take. But I have no idea where he's going to go in this draft, and that's Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia, who obviously, you know, if people don't know quite know, he was being projected as arguably the number one pick in the entire draft. Then he had uh, the revelation of, of off the off the field incident uh, that resulted in a car crash and and the loss of life. Uh, he, he was tangentially involved in, I guess. Anyway, we still don't quite know exactly. I guess the fallout from that and what else other things may have been uncovered as people do background checks. Uh, what's your sense of Jalen Carter? Because I've heard a mixed bag of where he could go. Mock drafts seem to continue to put him high up. But what's your view on on him? Because obviously, if he goes ahead of or Washington picks that's good if he falls, then obviously that you know changes the board a bit. I think unless there is more, you know, and I don't want to minimize because two people uh, died in the Georgia football program died in those in that car wreck, right? Um, but if there's, you know, I don't, you know, right now it's a misdemeanor, and in terms of legally, you know, in his involvement. Um, so I don't know, you know, is there is there going to be a lot more to it that comes out eventually? I don't I don't know that. I don't think anybody knows that right now. If it doesn't, I don't think he goes past. I don't think he falls out of the top five. And here's why, you know, we've seen time and time and time again, the NFL. Somebody always takes talent. And here's the reality when it comes to what people see on film. In 2021, Georgia had as talented a defense as college football seen probably in the last 20 years. They had three first-round picks in the D-line, including the first pick overall. Not one, but many of the coaches I've talked to think Jalen Carter was the most gifted player on that defense. Like, he is a wow guy in terms of what he brings to the table. I All mean, right. he is the most gifted player in this draft. Now, is he going to go hard all the time? I mean, you don't get that with, with D linemen. And I, if he is engaged and it feels like he has something to prove, which, you know, hopefully for his hick and the team that drafts him, he feels that way. Um, you know, the stuff people saw at Georgia was jaw dropping, you know, freakish stuff in terms of how explosive an athlete he is at that size. Um, but then again, he wasn't playing 40, 50, 60 snaps a game because they had such a depth of, you know, talent. Uh, if he goes five to to the Seahawks, I think Pete Carroll would be an interesting, you know, coach for him. I could see, I could see him being a dominant force. You're talking about a, a franchise that, you know, one of the best players they ever had was Cortez Kennedy. I think, you know, there's some comparisons to Jalen Carter to Warren Sapp because they're from the same high school. They both were tight ends really more in high school before they were really defensive linemen. 
they both definitely have baggage when they come into the NFL. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, he has kind of Cortez Kennedy kind of talent. The question is, you know, what are you getting with him? And it's like going to be a fascinating process to watch unfold. Yeah. I keep thinking it would be fascinating if somehow he did get past the top five, the bears are sitting there at nine. They could have conceivably taken him at one if they had stayed there or if his uh, Carter's situation had unfolded the way that it did to get him at nine. Hypothetically, this would be like the greatest win-win trade. <laughs> uh, almost like I can't remember, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, let me ask you two more questions before I let you go. And I appreciate the time. Bijan Robinson, again, not another player that's not logically in play for Washington based on what they have, but he's a guy that like in terms of pure talent might be a top five player in this draft from a positional value. You know, people don't like spending on running backs anymore. So he could be all over the place. You have him going 10 to the Eagles. I kind of think this actually makes a lot of sense because while we talk about running backs not being great value, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl window right now. And if this guy is as talented as people are saying, he could contribute immediately, unlike the majority of the first round picks who will be slow to develop just because of transition. I kind of think with especially with two first round picks with Philly. And what they they lose Miles Sanders, uh, they bring in uh, Rashad Penny, who's good, but he's always hurt. I think this is a pretty interesting pick. So I'm curious on why you had him going to Philly. Yeah, I I I knew I was going to get blowback because it's a running back going top ten. I mean, if people when they read the comments, how people talk about Bijan, it is it is different. I would say there's probably five or six players in this draft who are were immensely respected by the guys that they. Uh, faced by the coaches they faced Bijan was is near the top if not at the top of the list and the question I had and I had a, a, a buddy of mine who it, it works in the media and he said and this person's a Bears grew up a Bears fan he goes I just hope the Bears do not you know go up and try to get you know enamored by Bijan and I said what if Bijan was like Marshall Falk or Edron James? And he's obviously much bigger than Marshall Falk, but in terms of like, I don't know if he's that that elite elite caliber of a receiver, but that's kind of the buzz that you get from the coaches who saw him in college. And it's like if he's Edron James, granted it's a different time, but like if that's what you get, you should take him in the top ten. You know, like. The question is obviously the injury risk. Like Saquon was really good last year, but he was really banged up the year before that. And the shelf life isn't great. But like you said, they're so close to winning a Super Bowl. If this is the next piece that helps Jalen, but it also helps AJ Brown, it helps, you know, like you have so much skill talent already. Like they are built to win now. If you're saying, all right, we're going to take another edge guy because Brandon Graham is 30, whatever years old. And, you know, they're older and say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to slot up maybe Nolan Smith or like, I also think the edge guys, like, I don't think it's as great a class in terms of like top 15 guys. There's guys like they could take somebody who can really help them uh, maybe around later. Who's more of a developmental guy. Like I, you know, the guy I mentioned from Louisville, Yaya Diaby, he could be a, I think he can be a, you know, a, a really high level NFL play player. And I don't see anybody putting him in the first round. Um, there will be some guys like that, you know, out of the first round, but if I'm the Eagles and I'm so close and this guy is as good as 
the coaches think he is, I think you do got to give him some consideration. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in this league tomorrow, the next year, things change all the time. So if you have that shot, plus the NFC is, you know, down right now. So getting any extra lift would, would be a good thing. Um, last question. This is a position pertinent to Washington's needs and that's cornerback. The question on some level is when do they start going off the board? Some people have had Christian Gonzalez as the first corner going six to the lions, Devin Witherspoon, then comes soon after then Joey Porter. And then there's a lot of other guys going to get picked maybe even in the first round. You have them going back a little bit later um, coming off the board. And I'm just curious, what's your read on the cornerbacks, both in terms of like when you think they start going off and also just how deep the position is in terms of a team like Washington being like, maybe I don't even have to reach at 16 because there's still really good talent later on. Yeah. I think this is one of the best deepest positions in the draft. And, you know, like, I think the coaches I talked to don't like, like the some do, but there wasn't as much consensus on Christian Gonzalez as, you know, his measurables are terrific. I think there's some good film. There's some like, depends who you talk to. You know, I remember I was at the, I was, when I was in Indy, I, there's a, a DB coach I know pretty well. He goes, I don't feel that comfortable. He, I don't know if he could play in our division because we have some really physical running backs. And I was like, you know, obviously he's big. He's, he's almost, he's not almost 25. He's 15 pounds bigger than Devin Witherspoon. But the coaches you talk, you know, you hear from are like, it's almost like Devin Witherspoon is, is built like Patrick Peterson. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not even six feet and he's 180 low 180s but he was super physical and instinctive and i think that's the stuff that people really like then you know the person i you know the other persons out there is joey porter jr who's got great length cleaned up his technique a lot in 2022 um i think you know there's a lot of good you know good feelings about him once you start getting in the second round though there's a guy i would mention and I, you know, I have them going and like I, because there's a handful of teams that didn't have first round picks, I included them in the mock draft at the bottom. And Julius Brents at K-State is, you know, he is another wow athlete. You know, he didn't run a great 40 time, but he is 6'3", 200 pounds. He was very, very physical this year at K-State. Coaches were wowed by how much he improved in his time there. Um, his shuttle times are better than any any DB in the draft. And like I said, he's got great length, great size. If you see him in the second round, you get Julius Brents. I think if I was a fan of that team, I'd be pretty pumped up. Yeah, as somebody who went to the Senior Bowl and the Combine, Julius Brents is one of those guys that has stood out. He's just every every in each stop, it's been like, oh. That guy, yeah, pretty impressive. Then it just keeps going. And so, like, I, I, I I'm been... surprised, Ben. I'm surprised that nobody, and like, I look at a lot of mock drafts, especially when I was about to publish. I'm surprised nobody has Julius Brent. Some don't even have him in the first, you know, first couple, first two rounds. And I was like, from the, from the coaches, what they think of him, um, to me, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up, you know, his stock, whatever you want to say you know vaults into somewhere into the top 40 yeah i did a washington only mock i don't know a month or so ago and i did a trade and a trade down so i got them an extra second round pick and i took him with one of the second round picks um for a lot of the reasons you said uh in terms of the athleticism and the and the improvement um but yeah but i think in general it does seem like it's a pretty deep class and if washington 
doesn't feel they have to take one at 16. It might make sense to not, especially if there's an offensive lineman that they like, uh, or like the one of those quarterbacks is there, they can make a trade down or something like that. Uh, Bruce, I really appreciate the time. I know you've got a lot going on uh, for sure. At Bruce Feldman, CFB on Twitter for however long all of us are still on Twitter. Uh, Bruce, thanks so much uh, for the time and everything. I encourage everyone to go check out your mock draft as well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure. Take care.